Hey everyone, this is Matt Sewell. Welcome to episode 23 of the Popecast, the podcast for people who love history, but aren't as fond of dry, dusty history books. In 1492, something else happened, besides Columbus sailing the ocean blue, namely, that the most notorious Pope ever ascended to the chair of Peter, the guy who typically tops the list of every rundown of the so-called bad Popes, and who is described by a contemporary historian as more evil and more lucky than perhaps any pope before him. This week, it's Pope number 214, another very bad pope, Alexander VI. Alexander VI was born Rodrigo Borgia on New Year's Day 1431 in modern-day Spain. He was, you guessed it, one of those Borgias, the Italian-Spanish noble family who was especially prominent in church and politics alike during the Renaissance. The Borgias do boast one saint in the mix, St. Francis Borgia, the third superior general of the Jesuits, and Alexander's great-grandson. But otherwise, they were a pretty worldly bunch particularly prone to nepotism and ambition. Young Rodrigo lived a relatively quiet life until the election of his uncle, Cardinal Alfonso Borgia, as Pope Callistus, sometimes also called Calixtus III, in 1455. At 24, Rodrigo still had yet to settle on a profession, so Uncle Pope took advantage and within a year had elevated his nephew to the rank of Cardinal Deacon, without ordination, mind you, and put him in charge of the Church of St. Nicholas in prison or San Nicola in Carcere, in Italian. Barely a year after that, Alexander was made vice-chancellor of the Roman Church, effectively putting him number two in the administrative office that primarily collected and controlled papal finances. No red flags there. As a young man, Alexander VI was described by one of his former professors, Gaspar de Verona, as, quote, handsome, with a very cheerful countenance and genial bearing. He was gifted with the quality of being a smooth talker and of choice eloquence, Beautiful women were attracted to him, and excited by him in quite a remarkable way, more strongly than how iron is drawn to a magnet, end quote. It's fair to guess that Uncle Pope Callistus recognized that as well, as his remarkable intelligence and gift for navigating the political landscape of an institution as vast and influential as the church was in that time. As a result of both his position and his various skills over the course of his service to five popes before being elected himself, Alexander had amassed one of the greatest fortunes of any of his contemporaries during that era. Rodrigo was finally ordained to the priesthood in 1468, no rush, then made bishop in 1471. Remember, that's 16 years from the time he got his first job in the church to when he was named an actual bishop. The whole priestly vocation thing, of course, seemed like a bit of an afterthought, particularly since he himself seemed to prefer various mistresses to the whole celibate sacramental life thing. In fact, one notorious instance has Pope Pius II, the man who followed Callistus III, writing a scathing rebuke of the then 29-year-old Cardinal Rodrigo for his rather scandalous conduct at a um, gathering in Siena. Get a load of this from Pius II. Dear son, we have learned that your worthiness, forgetful of the high office with which you are invested, was present from the 17th to the 22nd hour in the gardens of John de Bichy, where there were several women of Siena, women wholly given over to worldly vanities, 
Your companion was one of your colleagues whom his years, if not the dignity of his office, ought to have reminded of his duty. We have heard that the dance was indulged in all wantonness. None of the allurements of love were lacking, and you conducted yourself in a holy, worldly manner. Shame forbids mention of all that took place, for not only the things themselves, but their very names are unworthy of your rank. In order that your lust might be all the more unrestrained, the husbands, fathers, brothers, and kinsmen of the young women and girls were not invited to be present. You and a few servants were the leaders and inciters of the orgy. It is said that nothing is now talked of in Siena but your vanity, which is the subject of universal ridicule. Certain it is that there at the baths where churchmen and the laity are very numerous, your name is on everyone's tongue. Our displeasure is beyond words, for your conduct has brought the holy state and office into disgrace. The people will say that they make us rich and great, not that we may live a blameless life, but that we ha- may have means to gratify our passions, end quote. I mean, shoot, gang. Pius goes on for about twice as long as that block quote, saying things, more, more things like, uh, people blame us on your account. And this is the reason princes and powers despise us, and the laity mock us. Precisely no punches were pulled that day. In any case, it's well known that Alexander VI had many mistresses, his favorite of which was Vanessa Catanei, a Roman aristocrat who bore his four children, starting in 1474. Juan, Caesar, Lucretia, and Geoffrey. It was also pretty easy to tell that Alexander had ambitions to follow Uncle Pope Callistus to the papal throne, but he wasn't initially as successful as he'd hoped. Alexander was presumably having too much fun to care when Pius II succeeded Callistus, and the same when Paul II came after Pius. Alexander himself was then influential in the election of Sixtus IV, but failed to secure his own election in the next papal conclave, after Sixtus died, losing to Innocent VIII. When Innocent died in 1492, however, he saw his chance, doling out what Matthew Bunsen, author of the Pope Encyclopedia, described as lavish bribes and promises, and leveraging a reputation for administrative skill to secure the needed majority votes by the cardinals. Alexander was finally elected on August 11th, 1492, becoming the second Borgia Pope out of three total, Callistus obviously being the first, and third and final being Innocent X, over 70 years later in 1574. Innocent being, as it turns out, the great-great-great-grandson of Alexander VI. Oddly enough, things seemed to go pretty well initially after Alexander was elected. Rambunctious Rome was restored to civil order. Alexander pronounced a desire to reform the Roman Curia, all the various offices and officials, of course, who advised the Pope and run the church, and even expressed desire for a crusade against the always encroaching Ottoman Turks. But if it sounded to you too good to be true, you guessed it. It was. None of it really happened. Turns out Alexander really just kind of liked boosting the family name and enjoying riches and extravagance too much to care about too many real issues or causes. His second son, Caesar, was made a cardinal at 18 and inherited dear old dad's spot as Archbishop of Valencia in Spain. Caesar, of course, is known to history as the most notorious Borgia of the bunch, and one reason may likely be the untimely death of his older brother Juan. Alexander likewise had high hopes for his oldest son, but those plans were cut short when, following a lavish party thrown by his mother, Juan's body was found in the Tiber River, 
after his horse came back without its rider the next morning. His throat was cut, and his still richly dressed body riddled with nine stab wounds, and the satchel of thirty gold coins untouched at his waist. It's thought by many that Caesar was to blame, given his jealousy of his older brother's prestige as firstborn. As Alexander, through tears, directed Juan's body to be pulled out of the water, Matthew Bunsen, again in the Papal Encyclopedia, wrote that, quote, sharp-tongued Romans observed that the pontiff was truly a fisher of men, end quote. Ouch. Alexander, apparently floored by his son's death, as any father would be, seemed for a time to really desire to reform himself and take stock of his way of life. But a short time it was. Bunsen goes on to write that, quote, he sank back into assisting Caesar's bloody subjugation of the nobles of Rome and the papal states. By the time of his death, the states of the church were essentially a fiefdom of the House of Borgia, end quote. A few bright spots during his 11-year reign included his patronage of the arts. He restored the castle Sant'Angelo, commissioned the artist Pinturicchio to paint his magnificent frescoes in what are now known as the Borgia Apartments in the Vatican, and Alexander even went as far as having Michelangelo start planning for a new St. Peter's Basilica. Alexander died rather abruptly, succumbing on August 18, 1503, after a short illness. Some suspect poisoning claiming that Caesar and his father were in cahoots together to poison a cardinal they wanted out of the way, but more likely the cause appears to have been malaria, which was prevalent in Rome at the time. And for those expecting to see Alexander surrounded by flames in eternity, if you know what I mean, don't be so sure. What, in my mind, is one of the most remarkable pieces of Alexander's story is the short time just before his death. The papal master of ceremonies recorded the whole thing in his diary writing, quote, on Friday the 18th, between 9 and 10 o'clock, he, being the Pope, confessed to Bishop Gamboa of Carignola, who then read Mass to him. After his communion, he gave the Eucharist to the Pope, who was sitting in bed. Then he ended the Mass, at which were present five cardinals, Sarah, Juan, and Francisco Borgia, Casanova, and Loris. The Pope told them he felt very bad. At the hour of Vespers, after Gamboa had given him extreme unction, he died. End quote. And then just a couple days hence, at the Pope's funeral, the Bishop of Gallipoli spoke specifically about Alexander's contrition before death to those about to elect a new Pope. The Bishop said, quote, When at last the Pope was suffering from a very severe sickness, he spontaneously requested one after another, each of the last sacraments. He first made a very careful confession of his sins, with a contrite heart, and was affected even to the shedding of tears, I am told. Then he received and communed in the most sacred body, and extreme unction was administered to him. End quote. As far as his legacy, well, he is one, one of the so-called bad popes for good reason. His personal conduct, both before and after election, as you've rightly heard, certainly are no example for what a priest or bishop or human, for that matter, ought to strive for. It's also worth noting not at all to downplay the things that Alexander has proven to have done, that many of the crimes and stories that history has remembered about the Borgias were actually likely exaggerated quite a bit, if some even happened at all, given that the Borgias were Spaniards in an Italian world and stopped at nothing to expand their empire at the Italian's expense. It made them ripe for contemporaries to paint a more notorious picture than was actually the case. Yeah, I didn't think that was possible either. But for example, accusations of incest and the infamous banquet of chestnuts, 
Google at your own risk, are only recounted by a single chronicler and were dismissed by many other writers living at the time. Alexander VI is one of the few popes to be the focal point of a popular TV series and perhaps is the only one to also play a prominent role in an iconic video game as well. The controversial pontiff was a key figure in Showtime's short-lived series The Borgias, with Alexander played by the illustrious Jeremy Irons, and he also appeared in the 2009 and 2010 installments of the popular Assassin's Creed video game series. Whatever we say about Alexander VI, and whatever he did to sully the papacy and the church herself, we can at least rest with the words of Pope St. Leo the Great. The dignity of Peter suffers no diminution, even in an unworthy successor. Well, that's it for our bio this week, as is the custom here at the Popecast, as you well know if you've listened to past episodes. If there's an existing document by the subject, by the Pope, we cover on a given episode, we round out the episode with a snippet from that particular Pope's writings. One of the few existing documents written by the infamous Alexander is a papal bull entitled Inter Catara, written in 1493, decreeing basically that Spain had exclusive rights to the land discovered by Columbus the previous year, and that Portugal should keep their dang hands off everything except Brazil. It's perhaps more commonly known today as the Doctrine of Discovery, and interestingly enough was used, at least foundationally, to justify the United States westward, westward expansion in the 19th century. The full document's linked in the show notes if you'd like to read the whole thing, but here's a snippet from Intercatara of Alexander exhorting the king and queen, Ferdinand and Isabella, to work for the conversion of the native peoples in the New World. Alexander writes, As becomes Catholic kings and princes, after earnest consideration of all matters, especially of the rise and spread of the Catholic faith, as was the fashion of your ancestors, kings of renowned memory, you have proposed with the favor of divine clemency to bring under your sway the said mainlands and islands with their residents and inhabitants and to bring them to the Catholic faith. Hence, heartily commending in the Lord this your holy and praiseworthy purpose and desirous that it be duly accomplished and that the name of our Savior be carried into those regions, we exhort you very earnestly in the Lord and by your reception of holy baptism, whereby you are bound to our apostolic commands. And by the bowels of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, enjoin strictly that inasmuch as with eager zeal for the true faith you design to equip and dispatch this expedition, you propose also, as is your duty, to lead the peoples dwelling in those islands and countries to embrace the Christian religion. Nor at any time let dangers or hardships deter you therefrom, with a stout hope and trust in your hearts that Almighty God will further your undertakings. End quote. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, review the Popecast at iTunes, share with your friends. They can easily find us at thepopecast.fm. That's thepopecast.fm. Also, if you really like the Popecast and would like early access to new episodes, among other things, uh, consider becoming a patron, patreon.com slash mattsewell. That's patreon.com slash M-A-T-T. S-E-W-E-L-L. Uh, the podcast is not, not free to produce. Um, we love producing it and giving it for free. Uh, but if you would like to give a buck or two an episode, like I said, uh, get early access to episodes and other bonus content as it comes out. Um, that's patreon.com slash Matt Sewell. And then lastly, of course, be sure to check us out Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Popecast. Posting daily Pope quotes, obviously announcements of new episodes, um, Saint Feast Day bios, and more. Uh, but again, thank you for listening. We really appreciate all of our listeners, all of our new listeners. And as we go out this week, we pray for the soul of Pope Alexander VI and of all our dearly departed popes. Until next time.